Hi guys, welcome to episode 46, Hard Pass Fitness, brought to you by Team Amino Peer Reviewing at HRT. We have not even a special guest, he's part of the team, right? Um, Matt Cusano over here to discuss gut dysfunctions protocols, um, their sequel, right, for part from part one. Um, we've had a ton of feedback as of late, now that Matt's gotten a little bit more acquainted with the clinic, uh, being our clinical director for Rejuvenate HRT. Uh, I want to I want to dive into a lot of stuff today. So I may be all over the place. I'm going to rely on Matt to like keep, keep me going. <laughs> we've had so many different cases that we're we're tackling right now, right, Matt? Um, that is that we're gonna we're gonna talk about gut dysfunctions part two, which I think we left off with a great in a great in a great spot. But we're also gonna dive into stuff that we're actually seeing at the clinic, right? Sure. So let's let's start a little bit again uh, from what recap from what we discussed earlier. We talked about SIBO protocols a little bit. We talked about H. pylori. So let's start with what you're seeing first right now from gut dysfunctions. I know you put, you gave me a post with you actually, you think you posted it today with regards to what you're seeing, what, what studies are, are seeing right now that if you have gut disorders that are left untreated, you're seeing a lot of more uh, prominent cases of cancer, correct? They're certainly at higher risk. Um, you know, ulcers oftentimes can develop into cancers and, um, what I've seen anecdotally is, you know, through the clinic and then otherwise through my own business, I've recently gotten into more and more contact with people who either just finished a, a battle with cancer or are currently battling reoccurring cancers. And the doctors, you know, can't really figure out what, why this is happening or, or they haven't necessarily even tried, so to speak. Um, but when I start asking some questions in regards to their, their backstory and their history, the common denominator with all those cases is decades of gut dysfunction and digestive issues, whether that be heartburn and acid reflux or ulcers or um, you know, constipation, diarrhea. There'll be diagnosed IBS, Crohn's, Barrett's disease, They'll be prescribed PPIs like omeprazole or Prilosec, and um, and so without a doubt, there's been underlying, you know, bacteria dysbiosis that very likely led or or further drove uh, where they are now. So let me interject really quick because I want to share with our listening audience one of the things that I've noticed, okay? Um, as, as you know, I have dealt with gastroparesis. I dealt with uh, an H. pylori infection that actually uh, turned into gastroparesis. It, it was a horrible experience. And when I'm talking about horrible, I had spent hours vomiting mm -hmm. uh, uncontrollably. Uh, and that was all a reaction of the, the infection. And the first thing the doctors basically told me when I was when I was diagnosed with H. pylori was um, acid reflux. So the first thing they do is give you a meprosol or right. mylosec. Uh, in some cases, not to demean or talk bad about Western medicine, but I think you probably know how I feel in some cases about some of the diagnoses that we're seeing consistently in, in Western medicine now. Um, you have really good doctors and you have doctors that don't quite nail it. Uh, I am of the belief that perhaps I didn't have uh, a surplus of acid, that I just had uh, low stomach acid due to stress, yeah. which was led, that furthermore led to a pylori infection, which led to gastroparesis, 
which is now I'm a much I'm in a much better place. I am not a hundred percent as we've discussed, but what have you seen? Can you explain to us a little bit about how you may you may have the uh, overproduction of acid symptoms, but in reality is an underproduction of acid? Sure, and, and just to uh, you know comment on the statement that you made a, a second ago. You know what we have to remember is Western medicine. The, de the design of Western medicine approach is very focused on symptoms and we attack those symptoms with medications. That's, that's the American healthcare model. Whereas in functional medicine, the goal is to not just pay attention to symptoms, but rather pay attention to the root cause of those symptoms. And by getting and addressing the root cause, you thus get rid of the symptoms. The downside to this is there's not nearly as much money in that type of protocol as there would be with medications addressing symptoms. Um, but that's that's another story for another yeah, day. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a business. I mean, one of the things I talk to my mother about this all the time, right? Because my mother has, I think it's hereditary. We both have some dysfunctions in our gut. And I'm and I and I'm I'm very interested to see what the GI mapping is gonna talk, is gonna tell us once once this process, because I think you're probably right. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things that we see, and I keep saying over and over again, is it Western medicine is a band-aid. Yeah, it's a band-aid to the problem. And it really annoys me because there's a lot of the, a lot of people that reach out to me and reach out to you as well as, as clinical director. And we, and we see things and now we're starting to see a pattern of how it's being treated. And it's yeah. kind of like, no, let, let's dive in a little bit deeper and get right. to the root cause. We eliminate the root cause. The result goes away. That's right. right? So a meprazole for me was a meprazole. I mean, and, and I, I've been off of, of uh, the PPIs already completely. And I don't, I don't see a difference like, at all like i don't feel any worse i don't feel any 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 better but i honestly think that i might have been misdiagnosed when they thought it was um high a lot of uh surplus of acid in the stomach is actually low acid but can you sure. tell me why it is that you can have that symptom of a lot uh, a surplus of acid in yep. certain parts of your stomach versus not having enough yeah it's it's a very interesting phenomenon that uh american medicine and society just hasn't hasn't quite gotten right so, um, you know, it's very easy for us to assume that acid reflux and heartburn is stemming from too much acid because that's what we're feeling. We're feeling like there's just so much acid that's coming up into our throat. Um, ironically, most of the time, this is the opposite. And the reason for this is we have a, a flap, so to speak, at the bottom of our esophagus. And this is known as the esophageal sphincter. The esophageal sphincter is pressure sensitive. So when we chew food, we, our throat muscles basically send, for lack of a better word, sound waves down our throat with the food particles. And this then opens the sphincter and allows food particles to enter the GI tract. How, and then the sphincter is supposed to close and that's a properly functioning esophageal sphincter. However, when we have low levels of stomach acid in the gut, we then do not break down food particles properly. And because of that lack of breakdown of food particles, we end up with a lot of excess gas. That excess gas then causes pressure to head back upwards and the, esophag the esophageal sphincter 
opens when it's not supposed to open, and that then leads to acid reflux and heartburn. So while, you know, PPIs and omeprazole and Prilosec, these things, Tums, these things temporarily help us get rid of the discomfort, it's actually driving dysfunction worse in most cases. Yeah, that, that's, I think that's really like uh, what transpired with me primarily because I'm in a much better place now, but it was, uh, it was probably been now going on nine months of, of a journey trying to get back to home. Sure. And, and I, and one of the things that I wanted to address also, there's a huge, we're seeing it more and more, even with, with rejuvenate now, uh, there is a huge correlation of stress in gut. Like absolutely, there's, there's, I mean, it, it's almost a no brainer. The second somebody says, I have, I have some sort of gut dysfunction. Like I Ron, I have not I felt good. My stomach, I have distension, whatever it is. And then the second that we, and we dive into it, we're talking to people that are either running a lot of peds um, that are, they're making their body extremely high in toxins. Yep. Therefore, without being without flushing them accordingly or taking the right stuff, glutathione, whatever it is, to flush out the toxins, um, the correlation between stress and gut go hand in hand. So if you can identify, and, and I want to make sure that the listeners understand, when we're talking about stress, we're not only talking about physical stress, we're right. talking about mental stress, right? Because yep. a lot of times people like people tell you, well, I, I, I mean, this is this is just a normal day in my life, right? This is what I do, um, and I'm just they don't realize that the stress has become a status quo. Correct. And that's well, even, even type A personalities are, are automatically higher stress. Um, because what we have to think about is, you know, a, typically with a type A personality, these people are always planning in advance. And they do this as a safety mechanism, so to speak, because they feel, can you hear him? Yeah. Hang on one second. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, they typically do this as sort of a safety mechanism to mentally prepare for things in advance. That way they don't get uh, as upset if things don't go their way or you know, whatever that may be. So they're thinking that this is gonna benefit me by always planning ahead and thinking in advance, but it turns out that they're typically stressing themselves about things that haven't happened yet and might not ever possibly happen. Right. So then it's unnecessary stress. Oh my gosh, dude. <laughs> going on out there <laughs> yeah that's one of the things we've noticed uh can you talk a little bit about and i'm, I'm mostly interested in this and i kind of think i know that the, the answer is h pylori is that is there a core a scientific correlation h pylori gets developed with elevated cortisol levels or stress is, is called that uh, stress definitely has a, a link to H. pylori, but it can potentially happen with any type of dysbiosis. We can, we know that stress alone can cause dysbiosis. It can cause, a, you know, a degrading of good bacteria, or it can lead to overgrowths. Um, the interesting thing about H. pylori is part of its mechanism of action is that it keeps stomach acid levels low. So 
typically H. pylori is not a singular infection. By keeping acid levels low, it allows for other bacteria overgrowths to potentially thrive. So typically when people have H. pylori, they also have other overgrowths. That's what we tend to see. So is it safe to say that because that acid, acid, your, your, the pH acid, or the pH in your, your acid, I guess, yeah, it is the pH in the acid, helps eliminate the bacteria? It keeps it at bay. A, a low stomach acid environment is, is an environment that opportunistic bacteria thrives. So once, once low stomach acid drops, let's call it what it is all kinds of shit happens. <laughs> yep. exactly. It's like one thing after another, after another, after another, right? Exactly. And, and it solves is okay. Well, how about candida? Talk to me a little bit about how, what, what causes that infection? What is the difference between H. pylori and, and candida? Candida. Um, candida is a fungal overgrowth. Um, so typically, you know, when people are combating issues with yeast, this is, this is related to candida. Um, and we have certain levels of candida that we need in the body. It helps with protein synthesis. It helps with detoxing from heavy metals. Um, there's, there's positive benefits from candida. Um, but it's when we have an overgrowth that we start having issues. And this ends up being systemic. This can lead to oral thrush. This can lead to genital thrush. Um, it can lead to jock itch. It can lead to athlete's foot. Women who uh, experience chronic UTIs, this is typically a result of that. Um, it can often also lead to skin issues like eczema, psoriasis, um, things of that nature. Um, the other symptoms that coincide with um, candida are pretty interesting. People tend to have severe reactions to sugars, even natural sugars like honey and fruit, uh, starchy carbs as well. Uh, they can have dizzy spells. Um, their blood pressure and blood sugar can kind of go all over the place. Um, it's, it's a pretty interesting infection and it actually happens to be one of the most difficult to get rid of as well. Is it, is it more than H. pylori? Oh, absolutely. H. pylori is probably one of the easier ones. Right, because I know that they gave me a, I don't know what, if it was a Z pack to, to kill the uh, mm -hmm. fluoride. So yes. what, what, what's, what's, what's a, so you said it's more of a fungal infection, right? Mm -hmm. is, that, is that the reason why it's a little bit tougher to, to get rid of? Um, I don't know if that's necessarily the reason why. Uh, it, it certainly could be. Um, we typically see a big uh, link to PTSD and trauma and candida cases. Really? And so, yeah. Um, and anytime, well, I mean, we typically see any, anytime there's PTSD and trauma, there, there's most likely gut dysfunction attached. Is that. That, is that you would assume that because people have PTSD problems, right? They're, they're, it, we're, going, we're going back to the same thing. Their stress levels are super elevated. Is it safe to say that? Well, yeah. So the thing about unresolved stress or trauma is it's almost as if there's like a, a scar left in the brain or, or subconscious, if you will. So this then leads to subconscious fight or flight responses. And by subconscious, I mean, you don't even necessarily notice it. It's just happening throughout the day. For example, I had a client 
uh, in the past who explained her situation to me. And because she was a victim of assault, now whenever she's just walking down the road, if, if a male figure is walking towards her, she has a subconscious fight or flight response. So it's something as simple as that, that then will lead to gut dysfunction and it just becomes a revolving door. Does it, it, so you, you, could, you could easily say there's, there's a trigger for everybody. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, interesting. So what other type of, uh, other than candida and H. pylori, have you seen more and more prevalent now? I think that as of late, and, I, and I've said it in the first episode, our, our part one for gut dysfunctions, I think that society in 2022, we live in a constant state of stress. Sure. And we don't even know it, or we don't even know that it exists. Mm -hmm. uh, we're dealing with with one of our one of my patients, and you had a, a consult with with I, which I believe that he is in a constant. He went and spent an insurmountable amount of money trying to get tested with at the Mayo Clinic. Um, they were looking for tumors. They were looking for cancer. They were look. We figured out that it was mostly probably uh, genetic. Uh, some of the genetics, some of the gut dysfunctions that was leading to certain certain issues. Um, what other uh, type of infections or overgrowth are you currently seeing? Because I, I honestly think that more and more people, if not every single person in today's society, could benefit from managing their stress levels through supplementation, right. whether it's ashwagandha, PS, phosphatidylserine, which is what we have, and other other protocols. So what what else have you seen? now through the clinic and, and before with your own, your own patients? Well, certainly the, mo the most popular and the one that's talked about most is SIBO. SIBO. Um, so S-I-B-O, that stands for small intestine bacteria overgrowth. And we can have large intestine overgrowths too, but most often we're looking at the small intestine. And we, we can break uh, SIBO into kind of two groups. You can have uh, a methane SIBO and a hydrogen SIBO. And interestingly enough, they have kind of opposing symptoms. Methane SIBO generally uh, reflects constipation and slow motility. And um, hydrogen, generally the opposite, loose stools and diarrhea. So how about motility for, for, for hydrogen SIBO? Um, slow motility can generally be an issue with any type of overgrowth, um, because there's also going to be, you know, low stomach acid involved. So slow motility is almost always an issue and that alone can lead to diarrhea. Um, sometimes, you know, you got to think of it as like, because of the slow motility and low stomach acid, you then have backed up pipes, so to speak, if we're yeah. talking in terms of plumbing. And so then the body does an emergency evacuation, trying to clear those pipes. And that's oftentimes why we have, you know, the watery loose stools and stuff like that. Let me ask you a question on that. Let's dive into poop a little bit. Um, Cause it's important. Like I, I, I've had patients and I've had even my own personal clients send me pictures of their stool. I'm like, don't do that. <laughs> but let's talk about loose stools. So you're talking about diet from a, a diarrhea symptom, right? Um, why is it that when your body's trying to get rid of that, that bacteria, that toxin, whatever it is, that leads to the loose stool? Number one, that's a two-part question. Number two is how do you define whether you have met, uh, methane, is it methane? Mm -hmm. 
base Tebow versus hydrogen base Tebow. Yeah. Um, so the cause for the loose stool can be a couple of things. Like I said, uh, most of the time it's, it's the body trying to evacuate uh, when, when things have been backed up for so long. Um, as far as testing goes, um, you can do a breath test for both methane and hydrogen SIBO, and it can differentiate which one. However, the thing about the breath test, because we're talking our um, small and large intestine, they aren't always 100% accurate. In fact, what I found them to be is about 70% accurate. So there have been many situations where people did a SIBO breath test and that came back negative, but they still had bacteria overgrowths. Um, that's why I personally uh, always like to use the GI map test. And like I said before, it's not uncommon for us to see multiple overgrowths. If you remember that GI map that I brought to the clinic for you, me and Jody to look at, they had all four. They, yeah. they yeah. had so many different overgrowths, you couldn't even count it. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's almost dangerous to only try to go after one or only try to look for one uh, and not pay attention to the others. Yeah, I think, I think GI mapping is a wonderful tool. We, we just got it at the clinic. And I think that we, um, the, the hardest thing uh, to get patients to understand, and even clients, even my own, my own clients, right, is, look, any type of functional, any type of dysbiosis, any kind of gut issues, it's going to take time. It's going to take time and it might cost money because, yep. uh, and we're, we're being honest. We, I strongly believe that nobody beats us on pricing when it comes to functional, when it comes to causes, when it comes to mapping. I mean, we, we try and Matt and I, we, we talk about how to make it accessible for for the common folk, right? The pe the person that perhaps is 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 on a budget and um, it's a little tight on money. So we try to be as competitive as possible as we can. But there's only so much we can do in in, eff in efforts of trying to keep up the clinic and making sure that we treat everyone the, the same way. We don't make any distinctions. Um, GI mapping is not cheap. It's three hundred and fifty dollars, I think. Right, Matt? Correct. Um, and there's the functional lab as a whole could be the first step in understanding, okay, these are the issues that you may be having from a blood standpoint, right? Testosterone, um, you know, uh, whether it's thyroid, those are all the results of something else. So sure. now we know everything that is wrong with you. That's going to tell us if your thyroid is bad. That's going to tell us, um, that's going to tell us if our thyroid is bad. That's going to tell us if our, um, our testosterone levels are about our progesterone. It's going to tell us everything that's wrong. Now we have to dig deep into why, right? And that's what GI does. GI does a lot of the why. You are having these issues because of this, this, and this. So GI mapping goes hand in hand with a functional, but you could also do the comprehensive panel. It's going to tell you a lot, maybe not as much from a functional standpoint, but it does tell you a lot. So talk to me about a little bit about what the functional lab panel does sure. and and how you how we stem first phase and then second phase what we can gather from a gi mapping and the benefits behind both of those sure um you know regardless of how many advanced labs uh testing options we have we should always be looking at blood serum lab work 
first and foremost. And ideally that's gonna be comprehensive lab work. And what we mean by comprehensive lab work is we're not just checking your metabolic panel, your liver enzymes, your kidney enzymes and your cholesterol. Um, and we're not just checking, checking your testosterone and your estrogen. We're checking your full metabolic panel, your full blood count, your cholesterol, um, lipids, all of your reproductive hormones, DHEA, testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone. We're also checking your adrenals to see how uh, your cortisol production is. And we're also doing a full thyroid panel, not just checking TSH, because at the end of the day, that tells us very little of how your body is producing and converting thyroid. So we wanna check TSH, free T3, free T4, as well as reverse T3. Um, if the person is showing signs of it, it might also be worth looking at uh, thyroid antibodies to see potentially for Hashimoto's. Um, we also wanna check multiple inflammatory markers um, CRP, ferritin. Uh, we generally want to also look at blood glucose management. So not just fasted blood sugar, but also hemoglobin A1C and their fasted insulin. Insulin is something that rarely ever gets checked. And that is the guy working behind the scenes in regards to glucose management. Um, so that's typically what we're looking for. Uh, I think we also have vitamin D levels on that. I think, it's already interject real quick. That's something we want to discuss after you, we finish this, this, this um, iteration of what it has. Because I think a lot of people oversee the importance of vitamin D, right? Yes. So keep going. I'm sorry to interrupt. I just, I made a constant mental note that to remind you on, on the vitamin D because I think it's, it's huge. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is on there. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a super important one. You know, the main reason that we see vitamin D deficiency is stress and poor gut health. You know, we have to think whenever the gut is compromised, we're dealing with different forms of nutrient malabsorption, whether that be protein and carbs, but also minerals and vitamins too. Um, but yeah, vitamin D, D is very important. Uh, it plays a vital role in our immune system function. You know, back in 2020, they found a direct correlation to vitamin D deficiency and COVID death. Um, and vitamin D also acts as a precursor for serotonin and dopamine. So this is going to play a major role in your mental health and your mood and energy levels. The neurotransmitters. Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that we're noticing for when we're doing consoles and the difference between us and, and other clinics, we dive a little bit deeper into, into the things that, are, that can cause the symptoms that you're feeling. Um, neurotransmitters is a huge, it's a huge deal. What we're noticing a lot is, and, and we, I see as of late, we're getting more and more women, right? More females are coming on board saying we have these issues. One of the biggest issues that I've had with, with certain women, uh, female patients that are clients that have come on board with us as of maybe the last couple of months, a lot of them are being prescribed or having neurotransmitter issues, dopamine issues, uh, serotonin issues, the, the, the good feel, the, the feel good um, neurotransmitters. And they go to the doctor and the doctor would tell them, um, well, you could be, you have anxiety. Here's anxiety medication. It could be that you have depression. Here's depression medication, right? right. They, come, they come back to us 
And at the time you weren't even part of, of, of our team yet. And I'm looking at their lives and I'm like, I don't even think you have depression. I think you feel depressed and you feel down, uh, but you, I don't think you have a chronic, you're in a chronic state of depression. Um, the problem is they didn't look at your hormones because your hormones are in the gutter, right? So at that point, you, we have to let the patient know this is what we believe pre-diagnosis. Um, do you trust us or not? Because my first thing is going to be, let's get you off of depression medication, which is going to have long-term effects in your health. Let me dial your hormones in. And, you, and then we can, we can see how your body responds. More times than not, as of right now, I have not had, out of the four cases that I've actually had, where doctors have prescribed depression medication, all four of them have come back and said, I feel fucking wonderful. Like, I feel great. And a lot of it's because, yeah, they're, they're, they're listening to the patient saying, I feel depressed. Here you go. Here's your medication, right? Well, your progesterone is tanked. Your estrogen is relatively high relative to your progesterone and your testosterone is in the gutter so you're feeling what you're feeling is very normal for hormone deficiency right being feeling the the, the mood swings the 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 anger the the i feel like crap mood and then you were talking about having that correlating to your neurotransmitters right your and then your gut health i mean it's like a chain effect and that's really what we're seeing as of late is how do we treat the gut as the primary source of issues in your entire endocrine system, right? So talk to us a little bit about the, the, the methodology of how you treat gut and how you go from, let's say, functional lab into a, uh, into a GI mapping. What are you looking at when you're, when you're diving into a GI mapping? Sure. So um, do you want, you want me to go over the GI map first or the approach with the gut? Talk to us about the approach because I think it starts with the gut. It, it's, it's first, it's, I think it starts to us understanding, okay, uh, more times than not, I, I have, I talk to even my own clients and they're like, you know, it's interesting that you, you guys have been talking a little, a lot about gut because I, I bloat all the time and they've become accustomed to having that bloat, which is not normal for people that are listening to. So talk to us a little bit about your approach when you're talking to a patient about gut and then when we're actually going through a GI mapping, what are we actually looking at when you're doing a GI mapping evaluation? Sure. So, you know, one of the very first parts of the functional consult that I do or that we do at the clinic, you know, the, the first questions that get asked are all digestive questions um, because that's obviously extremely important. So one of the questions that we typically ask is about food sensitivities, food intolerances, or things that they need to avoid. And that's one of our first red flags that things may or may not be optimal in the gut. Um, so typically, if they're listing things out there, um, I have to explain to them that, you know, society has kind of normalized food sensitivities and food intolerances and just told us, oh, just go the rest of your life not eating these things. Uh, but what we have to understand is that food sensitivities and food intolerances are pretty much just an inflammatory response from the gut, meaning that the food is not the problem, it's our gut that is having the problem with its response. So if the gut was in perfect health, we wouldn't have these food sensitivities. So that's kind of part one to, to help them understand that there is something going on uh, if they don't already 
believe that themselves. And then, you know, of course, our next set of questions is all about symptoms. And typically, if they don't already know it, this can open their eyes when they start checking off how many symptoms they have, how many times a week they're constipated, how many times a week they're having loose stools, if they're experiencing heartburn and bloating each day, gas after each meal. So, you know, by the time they fill this out, they have a, a much better idea of where their gut health is. And then I obviously have a much better idea of what, what might be going on just based off of symptoms alone. Okay. So that's phase one when we do the consult. And I think that having that approach has actually changed the way that we operate the clinic. Um, I've gotten re email responses from a lot of people that have been with us for some time and they see that the evolution of what we're trying to accomplish at Rejuvenate, right? Mm -hmm. uh, going that's a, into a second step, what are we looking at when a patient actually, because a lot of patients will fight you or fight us in terms of like, I don't want to spend the money for a GI mapping, right? And we encourage sure. not, and, and I'll be honest, and I'm honest with everybody. Like we don't, you, you know, this, we don't make a ton of money on, on these tests not at all. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like a pass through sometimes. It's like, we're doing it more as a service than anything yeah. else. Well, because I know I, just based off of the GI maps that I've worked and ordered with clients before, we actually have one of the lowest priced GI maps available. And we want to keep it that way. Um, but I, I, when, when, when Matt came on board, when you came on board, one of the biggest things for us was we want to be a clinic for everyone. So we want to, we need to stay off our business. We need to stay off afloat and the costs of running a clinic are ridiculous. But one of the things that we wanted to do is, is offer all the services possible. And when we, when we see that we definitely need to really dive into your gut to get you optimal is because we really believe it. So when you're doing a GI mapping evaluation now, so the patient went into your function, we know that, hey, whatever issues you're having, start stems for your gut. It definitely yep. says that you're, 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 you're hitting all those, those, those red flags, right? Yep. So we know that. Now we're doing a GI mapping evaluation. What are you going to see in the GI mapping evaluation? So the GI map is a really interesting um, testing. It's going to show us a list of all, both good and bad bacteria. So it's going to show us all of your good bacteria and whether that's in a healthy range, too high or too low. Um, it's then going to show us potential uh, parasites and worms. Uh, it's also going to show us uh, H. pylori, of course, and different things like E. coli. Um, it's going to show us any uh, signs of candida uh, and any other opportunistic bacteria such as SIBO that might be present. Um, it also uh, shows inflammatory markers, uh, autoimmune markers, and it can also show resistance to antibiotics if somebody has been uh, a chronic antibiotic user. So let me ask you a question because I have, my mom has that issue where she, the doctor gave her so many antibiotics that um, she is now re resistant to them. Yep. How do we, how do we, how do we fix that? Is that even, is that something that's fixable? I'm not too sure, honestly. I would say spend as much time not using them as possible. And that, that might be the best chance. It's hard to define, right? Mm -hmm. when, when you have a, 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 a 
I want to say a response to you no longer have a response to antibiotics. So when do we when do we use antibiotics from a clinic standpoint? I know that we we like to use a whole uh, uh, holistic approach to our HRT clinic approach where yeah. less is less is more sometimes, right? Sure. We were just discussing that before with the recording. We're going to touch base on that a little bit later as well. But our approach. So talk to us a, li a little bit about our approach and why we're different. Sure. Um, well, yeah, so we're, we're very much focused on uh, functional medicine practices and not just, you know, coining the name a functional health clinic. Uh, so everything we do is a holistic approach trying to address the root cause. And we're trying to keep uh, any sort of prescription medications to a bare minimum, if, if at all. Um, and so with each console, even when it comes to HRT, you know, depending on the situation, you know, we might tell someone, we don't know if you necessarily need HRT just yet. You know, if we're talking to a mid twenties female um, who's had a small bout of birth control as well as some gut issues, and maybe she's done a competition or two, then we can see multiple reasons that her natural hormones are downregulated. Sure. Um, so by simply, you know, pulling away the birth control, fixing the gut, reducing all the stressors, bringing her food back up to a healthy range, because of course, food intake plays a role in hormone production. Um, so, you know, doing all those things, we can often heal um, a lot of cases in young resilient bodies. It's the, it's the people as they get to the late 20s, 30s, 40s, the body is obviously a lot less resilient and it's been through a lot more dysfunction by then. Um, so that's usually the cases where, you know, we might still attempt it, but three months later we're retesting. And if, if nothing's really come back, that's when we're like, okay, you're, you're a prime candidate for HRT services at this point. Yeah. And I, I'm a big believer in that. Um, I, without putting, and this is my opinion. Okay. Uh, I'm a big believer that a woman at the age of 38 might not be a very strong candidate for HRT. Some of them are. I, I've actually gone through some cases. My, my ex was one of them where um, she was 42 and she tried everything under the sun. Yeah. You know, she did the liposomal cheese berry. She did the dim. She did the D, D whatever it's called. Um, she did everything. And then she was really, and, and I had the clinic. Um, she was with, uh, with, with Jason, Scooby Prep. And then she came back and said, I said, why don't you do run, let me run labs. We ran labs and her hormones were just not up yeah. at all. She, she was still estrogen dominant. Mm -hmm. And she said, I can't believe this. I've been on every product imaginable. Right. You know, that you've actually given me, I said, babe, at that point, you have to understand that you're 42 now. And it doesn't mean you're old. It just means your body may be, like saying I'm tapping out and she used to compete yeah. and, and she, she stays very lean, you know? So it may be like, I'm tapping out and you are a very good candidate for HRC because there's no herb in the world that is, is helping you re regain what you're, what you lost. Right. right. And that, at that point you have to take, make a decision whether you want to be optimal and live an optimal life Right. And at minimal dosages, or you want to continue feeling the way you're feeling. 
Right. Usually we don't see that. I, I don't know what, what you see. You probably see a lot more kids than I do, but I don't really see that until a woman's in the like mid forties or even like in their, in their early forties. Uh, I've seen it younger just because I've been exposed to so many competitors who not only have they pushed their body, both stacking birth control and PEDs, which is huge HPA axis overload. Um, But we have to also think about all the stress of, think about three years of constant competing, bulks, cuts, back and forth. Three seasons of that is a lot of stress on a female's body. And then we also have to take into account what other possible stressors she may have in her life that have nothing to do with athletics. So it's, it's, it's in a lot of those cases that even as young as 26, 28, we're not seeing them come back, uh, at least not in a timely matter, maybe in a year or two, yeah. but, but who, one, who wants to wait that long, you know? Right. And then also, this is obviously always circumstantial too, because, you know, coaching plenty of females, the, the idea has to come up or the conversation has to come up. Do you plan to keep competing and do you plan to keep using PEDs? Because if so, don't, why are you spending two years trying to fix your natural hormones just to crash them again? Absolutely. You're better off just finding a baseline, healthy dose of testosterone and a healthy dose of progesterone, and then maybe using very minimal PEDs, Mm -hmm. mainly fat loss agents, if anything, um, to, to continue success. And that's going to be the healthiest, safest approach. I'm going to go on a tangent, okay? And I think that you being a a very well-known coach in the industry and me owning the clinic and running a supplement line and listening to hundreds of people telling me what they're going through, I think there is a a lack of responsibility from a coaching standpoint. Um, I, and I I think I told you this, I only, I tap out at 10 clients for coaching because Mm -hmm. I just can't. Like you, you know, Matt, how busy I am, right? For sure. Uh, you know how crazy my life is and how swamped we really are. And so I take a very minimal amount of clients, but they come to me with, and I love taking the functional clients because I love taking those challenges on that are really screwed up and, and fixing those. I think there's a lack of responsibility from some coaches when they don't really ask their client, where, what do you do for a living? So having a lack of understanding what level of stress they're coming into a prep sure. for as a client shows that you do not understand the human body. Absolutely. Because you cannot treat everybody the same way, right? It's kind of like people talk about cookie cutter diets. Well, I talk about cookie cutter lifestyle like assessments because a prep comes with an insurmountable amount of stress. If you're a cop, or a corrections officer, or you're in, in a, a chronic state of stress for eight to 10 hours of your day, you're walking into an environment where you're yep. going to be stressed even more, you're going to have some issues that are going to be unwanted. And now we're diving into the more personal matter of, of dieting and coaching and, and doing what we do, which is basically taking care of your entire health from an endocrine system to a diet system and we can do everything at, at rejuvenate right we we can we can do coaching we can do contest prep we can do functional we can do hrt we have access to petotherapy obesity fertility we do everything but what we're noticing is that level of responsibility lies on us 
where we can go back and say, look, you're not ready for a prep right now because you have all these other issues going on. And in order for us to set you up for success, we need to make sure that your hormones are in place. We need to make sure there's so many parameters that we, we, we need to make sure they are in place before that you get ready for a prep, along with looking at blood work and all the health markers, right? But are you seeing that the, the coaching environment or the coaching market in, in social media you see is gearing more towards a functional approach or because now it's like the fad right now. Everybody's a coach. It right? is a fad. Yeah. Everybody's a coach and everybody posts, reposts what some of the functional guys, some of the better named coaches that are more experienced understand the reality of what coaching really should be like right. to get more, to get more clients. But in reality, it's like, Hey, you just reposted that. And, and I, and I see where it's coming from. Right. right. And I'm like, brother, you really don't know shit. Because, <laughs> because I talked to some of your clients and what you're saying and what you're doing. Two different things. Two different things. Yeah. Right? So talk to me about a little bit about what you're experiencing, the mythology that we take, that you take and, and what you're seeing. Because I think that it's, it's a responsibility for a practitioner. And when you're coaching hundreds of people or, or, or maybe even like 50 people, which is a lot of people, yeah. they're putting their health in your hands. Obviously, yep. they want to get lean. Obviously, they want to get cut. But sometimes you lose visibility, Matt, in terms of I want to get to this goal and yep. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get to that goal. And it's kind of like the whole thing that we see on social media, right? And, and I call it bullshit. And I got into a, a, a back and forth with, with Jason Pawson on that, right? It's like, I don't care. You need to, you, you need to go boss to the wall. You need to do whatever it takes, the grind, the this. Let me crash myself into the gutter. And, and completely ruin my body so that I can get a trophy, then what? Yeah. Then what? Okay, great. You got a plastic, great. I, I, that's awesome that you, you got your pro card. It's awesome that that's, I'm not taking anything away from that, right? But what, at what level, what, what how far do you want to take it and, and how bad do you want to want it to hire people that are not professionals or prepared to get you back to where you need to be? I know I gave you a lot of shit. <laughs> no, I, I hear you, man. I mean, you know, you, you nailed it on the head for sure. Like, realistically, the functional coaching community is small. We pretty much all know each other and we pretty much all talk. So clients be warned. <laughs> um, but, I hear everyone. <laughs> yeah. But with that being said, you know, realistically, there are a lot of people that are trying to hop on the functional or health, just call it health conscious bandwagon because being health conscious is popular right now. So if you talk about blood work, if you talk about gut health, if you talk about these things, um, you know, you're, you're, you're essentially going to try to get more popularity by doing so because of the hot topics right now. But most of us functional coaches can obviously see through the lines of who's regurgitating information and who's actually putting these things into day-to-day -day practice. Um, realistically, out of the entire coaching community, I'd say there's about maybe 10% of us who, who really have the, the skills to apply to both a, a bodybuilding competitor and take them all the way, as well as a functional health client and completely reverse alterative colitis, uh, and two autoimmune disorders and something of that nature, you know? Yeah, I, I, had a, uh, I had a lady send me a message asking me, can you reverse Hashimoto's? Because her doctor literally told her that you couldn't, that she was yeah. like, 
And I said, well, I've actually gone through some, some protocols and I've actually, I haven't done it myself, but I know functional coaches that have actually reversed Hashimoto's. Yeah. Uh, and it's understanding the root cause of Hashis exactly. versus treating it, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Then we're going to throw some T3 and we're going to throw some T4 and we're going to, and here you go. Yeah. Um, you're not fixing anything. <laughs> you're, right. you're putting a Band-Aid on the problem, right? right. We, you want to know what caused that autoimmune issue to really nail down. And once you, once you basically nail down that autoimmune problem, whatever it was, then everything should fall into place. The problem right. lies when you leave an issue long-term, the longer you are with that issue, the longer it takes to recover. Yeah, right. for sure. And that's what we're seeing. I, I agree with what you said. I, I, I get, I cringe a lot because I think that a lot of people are use that functional, like I'm a coach and, you know, I know this and I know that's like, and then I, I talk to their page, their clients and they come to me and I said, I don't get it because what you're saying and what you're doing to this person is completely different. Now that is not to say that as a coach, and I don't do prep clients because I rather do the functional, the lifestyle. I just don't have the time to, to invest right now in preps. But as a coach, um, you have to understand that, yes, you can push the envelope. Like we're about a performance. So yeah, you know, we have, I have patients that want to push the envelope, which is great. Is There's nothing wrong with pushing the envelope. You can right. do, it, do it responsibly. That's right. right. Uh, it's a different protocol. It's a different process. But once they're done, what are we going to do to get them back to homeostasis? That's, that's where the craft is at. That's the difference. It's not, it's not that we never push clients or push athletes and maybe do some relatively risky, or, <laughs> yeah, risky or toxic uh, protocols. But the difference is you know exactly what you're doing. You know the ramifications of it. So therefore, once the protocol is over, you know how to reverse the ramifications. And that's the difference. If I can prepare an athlete in advance and say, hey, listen, we're going we're gonna to bring your calories extra low because your metabolism is adapted. We're going to have to, you know, microdose a little bit of T3 to keep you going. We're going to have to do X, Y, and Z to get you to there. But we can fix it all after the show as long as you do a proper reverse diet and and you know stick to everything that i say we, we will be completely fine and at that point then it's it's totally acceptable yeah i think that that's that's the the hard line i see coaches and i was talking to one of my friends bambi about that uh without naming any coaches names and, and we were talking a little bit earlier is like well you get to a certain point yeah you you get into a certain point they look great so that coach gets a lot of popularity because their, 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 their client looks, they all look pretty damn good. The problem is afterwards, who's fixing them? That coach yep. doesn't know. He doesn't know how to fix them. Yep. He lets them go. And then, which is great for us in a way, because God drops they go to me. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> but it's not great for that patient. It's, it's a response, no. right? No, so absolutely. I know, I know we're, div we're diverting a little bit from the topic at hand. Um, but it's been a great podcast on gut and, and we cannot emphasize the importance of making sure that you do map your, your gut in order for us to really in, in, uh, assess what really is the, the main issue, uh, whether it's hormone or Hashi's or whatever it is, we can definitely help you guys out with. I want to lead into a different topic and, um, and we'll wrap it up. We'll wrap the podcast up after this. And Matt and I were talking a little bit about um, we've been 
very careful over the in reviewing labs every over the last couple of weeks since Matt came on board, and um, we and I'm learning from Matt myself um, as I'm, I'm I'm dealing with different pay my own patients and my own clients uh, certain things that I do know. And then Matt will throw a different curveball. I mean, it's like, oh, that kind of makes sense, right? It's like, it's like, it's like hey, I'm learning. I'm learning as I'm going along. So it actually, I, I can improve for my clients as a coach. As a coach. So one of the things that we've been noticing is um, the excess in testosterone. And it's interesting to say that most of our patients right now are, are we're getting a, a lot of females. Yep. A lot of females with a really bad hormone dysfunction and uh, a lot of clinics that are over prescribing testosterone uh, when causing extreme, extreme high readings into into testosterone serum levels. Um, Irresponsible, I say run. We are getting great benefits and seeing great results from very minimal uh, testosterone uh, dosages. Now, keep in mind, females, and I'll let Matt really dive into this in a little bit here. Uh, keep in mind, um, females are very sensitive to testosterone. So they don't require uh, a large amount like men do. So a little bit goes a long way. And some of them uh, metabolize it even faster than others. And we can assess those issues. But what we've seen as of the last, we were just talking about two, just two cases that just flourished today, right? Yeah. Um, what are we seeing right now that, that clinics are getting wrong? And, and that we are going to be determined to get it right. And, and if you are, let me start by saying this. If as a female, if you're seeing uh, 20 milligrams, 30 milligrams of testosterone that's being prescribed by a TRT clinic, I'm going to go on a limb and say run. Yeah. Run because Matt's going to dive into a little bit um, into the concept, the long-term co- consequences that this can have. But uh, the floor is yours, brother. Preach, well, please. you know, to, to, the, to that exact point, when we look at the research for women transitioning to men, the typical dosage is 20 to 40 milligrams a week. This is the dosage to transition a woman to a male. So we, this is not even close to a testosterone replacement dose. This is a gender transition dose. Um, What we've heard recently, and I I honestly don't know if it's lack of education or just negligence, but it seems that it's very common for clinics to feel that women's testosterone is in a good place being in 200 to 300 um, levels on lab work. I've seen 400. I have seen 400. Upwards to 400, which is is low end male levels. Um, And what we, you know, first and first things first, more is not more. Like you're you're not going to benefit by taking more testosterone. The 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 uh, benefits of testosterone do not compound by taking more and more and more. Especially as a female, it's a very intricate balance of testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone. So we don't want androgen dominance, meaning too much testosterone, and we don't want estrogen dominance either. Um, So potential side effects of having too high of androgens is certainly going to be viralization, um, deepening voice, facial hair, chest hair, uh, clitoral enlargement. Um, And we also tend to see 
the the um, thinning hair on head or receding hairline as well. Um, acne is extremely common um, with high androgen levels as well. So these are all common symptoms and it might not all come at once or in a, an extreme fashion. So a lot of women don't notice it. It's such a slow transition where their voice changes. You know, it's not an overnight thing. So they don't even recognize it. Sometimes they'll even come up with excuses for themselves like, oh, I've been sick the last two months. So my voice is raspy and stuff. And we need to nip this in the butt and, and you know, recognize when, when I have women over a hundred, I'm like, ladies, this is too hot you know, and at a hundred, they're, they're like, I feel great. I don't notice any symptoms. Let's, you know, my sex drive is amazing. My husband or my boyfriend is, is super happy. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I'd still like you a little bit lower because at the end of the day, two things lead to permanent viralization, androgen load and duration of androgen load. So it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. If you have elevated androgens for an extended period of time, you are going to have viralization side effects. The optimal range for women's testosterone is 30 to 60. If we're really, you know, if we're talking an elite athlete, we could, we could accept pushing upwards to 80, but that's, that's really the maximum we need to do because there's so many other non-androgenic compounds that we can look at deploying, such as growth hormone, injectable L-carnitine, insulin. Insulin, oh my uterol. God. Insulin has, ha has a bad rap, I think. And it, we'll do another episode on that because I honestly think that women, and uh, okay, let me preface this by saying, we're talking athletes, non-gen pop, okay? Yes. Let's preface by saying that. We're talking about people that are living a lifestyle like Matt, like myself, like people that are going on stage, people that are live the lifestyle, they get their food in, that are trying to compete, or they are just doing it because they live the lifestyle. Okay. Yeah. So I think insulin has a bad rap because of the danger it can pose if you don't know how to use it properly. Well, that, that's, that's the key word. The, when we really look at the risks of insulin, the sole risk is user error. It is user error. And, and, so, and so I, risk. Yes. I think that you can actually benefit and get more from utilizing insulin in females uh, than running PEDs. Like 100%. I, I think that that's... I, it's I have, the most anabolic hormone. It's yeah. naturally produced in the body. Taking synthetic insulin does not cause a reverse feedback loop. So there's no negative impact on natural insulin production. It has no viralization and it has no, um, no negative side effects as long as the person prescribing dosages knows what they're doing. Knows what they're doing. And the person uh, following the diet and the dosage follows things correctly. Yeah. Food and, and, and insulin go hand in hand. Yep. You have, if you as a female or even a male are not growing while running insulin, there's other, there's other issues that are wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I, I well, and, and to be honest, I mean, I don't want to go on too much of a tirade about this, but yeah. most people have used insulin wrong in bodybuilding. And that's why it's gotten such a bad rap. You know, if you ask 10 insulin users uh, about checking their blood glucose regularly, I'd say only maybe five will actually, actually mm -hmm. regularly check your blood glucose. Right. And what it, what no one understands is your dosing should be dependent on those glucose numbers. That is what's deciding your dose, not your coach who wrote you a cookie cutter plan for eight weeks of insulin use. Now you're or, doing 10 or, grams for every, for every IU. Yeah, for every, yeah, for every seven carbs, do this Carbon. much insulin or some bullshit like that. And it's certainly not what somebody wrote on a Reddit post either. It's all customized to how your body is currently managing glucose and that's how you base your dosage. Yeah, no, it's it, it's definitely a topic of discussion. We're gonna have to do it and get Joey uh, Cavalier on this because it's something that we we him and I we've been talking about. So, and I, I'm I'm a fan. I'll be honest with you. Me like, too. I, I have uh, I have clients that they've come to me. Female clients have come to me and they basically say, Ron, I want to I want to get I want to put on size, but I'm, I don't want to run PEDs. They're terrified. And I said, Look, the best what's the best approach? Like I'm not telling you to do this, but insulin. You're you're gonna grow. Yep. If you're running right, you're gonna grow. But let's not let's not get out of the topic. So let's wrap this up. Um, it's been a great podcast and discussing different protocols. Um, let's wrap it up by talking to tell us a little bit about uh, where we can get a hold of of you as a coach because you also do some some contest prep coaching and whatnot. Obviously, you can get a hold of you through the clinic through us as well. But uh, talk to us. You know, even before that. Talk to me a little bit about, before we wrap up, talk to me about a little bit of what you see that is really driving you up a wall ever since you started with, with Rejuvenate. Is it, is it primarily the testosterone readings that are excessive? It's, it's definitely the excessive testosterone readings. And it's also just the overall, the, the goal of so many clinics is just selling products. And I get it. This is a business at the end of the day. But, um, you know, there's, there's so many unnecessary products that are being thrown out there. Um, and it's just band-aids over bullet holes, you know, sometimes yeah. the person does have symptoms that could, you know, potentially relate to this product, but sometimes it's not at all. And it's just like, oh yeah, this product can help you, uh, with your goals. And, um, you know, our biggest goal is to get people what they actually need and you know allow the rest to be done in a in a holistic sense uh right because the goal is not to sell products the goal is to get people healthy and if yeah. we can be profitable while getting people healthy then that's advantageous for everyone that's great no that's the model and, and i think that you and i had these discussions early on when we were talking about bringing you on board um and I've been very open with, with my, my patients and my clients and the clinic as a whole. Uh, I wasn't happy with the direction of the clinic and I tore it down. I yeah. tore it down and I wanted to rebuild it. And it yeah. took me months of, of finding the right components, if you want to call it. I'm not trying to call you a component map. No, you're all right. I, I think very highly of you uh, and your knowledge. But, you know, I think we finally, we, we finally have it right to where I want to have it. Where... Yeah. It's we're taking a, a functional approach to health first and putting the patient patient's health first. And we have 
fantastic patients that are coming on board with really bad cases. And, and they're basically very thankful um, that we are doing what we're doing. So that I, 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 I'm, I'm very lucky to have the staff that we have at Rejuvenate. So tell us for uh, private coaching, where they can get a hold of you. I know that you have an, uh, an email uh, address at the clinic. So talk to us a little bit about if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Yeah, I also just want to add real quick from, from both a functional and performance side, we've also had um, an increase in coaches bringing, bringing their clients you know, I, I'm well connected in both the functional and bodybuilding community. And, you know, I've talked to plenty of them. Uh, however, it's just worth, you know, mentioning again that we have an open door policy with regards to coaches and client referrals. Our goal here is not to undermine a coach's programming or steal athletes by any means. I have plenty of athletes. Uh, so that that's not a goal whatsoever. My goal here is to uh, fill that gap that I myself have encountered and all my colleagues have encountered in regards to, you know, the limitations that a, a bodybuilding coach has, even, even an educated coach, there, there's still limitations. And so the goal of the clinic and myself is to fill that void um, and to help coaches get their clients the real help that they need whether that be through HRT, whether that be through um, extended testing, such as the Dutch test or the GI map, or even you know some things that we're working on in the near future in regards to potential therapies for bacteria overgrowths that we'll have uh, available. Um, were you going to say something else, Ron? Yeah, I said the sky's the limit to what we're doing. It really yeah. is. Uh, we're setting ourselves apart as a clinic that, that nobody else, we're doing what nobody else does. And yeah. we're, we're, we have programs to help absolutely everyone. Um, and if you have any issues and we're not basically promoting it online, doesn't mean we, we can't resolve it. Reach out to us, reach out to Matt. Matt, uh, your email address, Matt? Yeah, my, my email is matt at thebodytechnicians.com. You can also reach me at matt at rejuvenatehrt.com. Um, and you can also find me online, Matt, the body tech. Guys, this is a wrap for episode 46. Thanks a lot, Matt, for coming on. We're going to have a lot more stuff coming on in the near future to try to really tackle those hard cases that everybody, everybody's asking about. Uh, whatever issues you have, you can reach out to Matt. You can read out, reach out to me, Ron, at rejuvenatehrt.com. Uh, and we will get you, we will get you, we'll get you rigs. We will get you in a, in a, in a in route to a, a, a positive journey to a, to a better health, whether it's HRT, functional, whatever it is, we have the tools in our hands. And uh, I want to thank everyone for your patronage as always. Uh, this is a great episode. So stay tuned for episode 45. We're going to definitely do a little bit. We're going to dive into a little bit more of a bro talk, uh, probably for episode 47. Uh, I think a lot of a lot of our guys, a lot of our men want to talk a little bit about how we can push the envelope with different protocols. I think it, it'll be uh, it'll be fun to do that. Thanks again, Matt, for, for being on, guys. Uh, again, whatever you guys need, reach out to us. And uh, we're, it's a wrap. Peace.